Okay, welcome. Here we are at EM Toxcast in our famed Drexel Emergency Medicine Podcast Studios. And we have Karima Sajadi and Mike Passerstein. And they are doing uh, the next in the series of cardinal presentations uh, on dyspnea. So it's going to be a two-part podcast. And the first part is coming at you right now. Okay, Karima and Mike, welcome. Hello, everyone. Hello, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, Karima, why, why is dyspnea so important? Well, to- dyspnea is important. Again, like, you know, as we talked about it in our abdominal uh, pain podcast, you know, if you have an abdomen, you get abdominal pain. So if you have lungs, you can have problems with that. So, but first I wanted to sort of say, what is dyspnea? Because there's a lot of confusion in terms of terminology. So dyspnea is a sensation of breathlessness and the patient's reaction to it. It's very uncomfortable awareness of breathing difficulty. And in its extreme manifestation is called air hunger. So it's very hard for the patients to explain, can be very hard. And it can be caused by many conditions ranging from non-urgent or downright psych to life-threatening. The clinical severity and patient's perspective sometimes don't correlate with seriousness and clinical pathology, which makes it even more difficult for us. And also, um, dyspnea can be affected by emotions, behavioral and cultural influences. And we talked a little bit about that in terms of, you know, abdominal pain as well. And um, also external stimuli. Absolutely. And along with dyspnea, so that's a great definition, there are um, many other terms that go along with the sensation of, of dyspnea. Right. That's very confusing. So I wanted to go over some of them. Um, when we talk about dyspnea, we sometimes mean tachypnea, which is the faster than normal respiratory rate. And the normal respiratory rate depends on age, of course. You know, um, it can be 44 per minute, and that's okay for the newborn. And that's totally right. not okay for an adult. And roughly, it's accepted that between 14 and 18 per minute is fine for adults. Sure. And, and that number can change 12 to 20, 14 to 18, depending on the source. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other way um, to describe dyspnea is hyperpnea. Um, So it's greater than normal minute ventilation to meet metabolic demands. So as you can see, that's like, you know, a little bit more scientific definition of that. Then we talk about hyperventilation. That's the minute ventilation that exceeds metabolic demand. It typically means low PCO2 and high pH. Um, Dyspnea on exertion is another term. It's dyspnea that's provoked by exertion, obviously, and um, usually we measure it either in number of flights of stairs or street blocks when we ask the patients. And then, um, of course, orthopnea, that's another term that's used widely. It's dyspnea in the recumbent position, and usually we measure it in the number of pillows the patient uses when they lie in bed. And um, another, the last one, is paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea. It's a little more specific. It's dyspnea while laying down at night. That's a lot of definitions, but they're all incredibly important to master and be able to apply uh, to our patients. Now that we know the definitions, let's talk a little bit about the pathophysiology and epidemiology. So epidemiology, you know, what can we say? It's a very common complaint in ED, and it's common complaint amongst patients of all ages, in pediatrics and adult, in geriatrics as well. And as we mentioned, um, causes can range from absolutely benign to absolutely life-threatening. 
So pathophysiology-wise, um, normal breathing is actually controlled centrally by medulla oblongata and also peripherally by chemoreceptors in carotid bodies and also mechanoreceptors in diaphragm and skeletal muscles. Any imbalance between the sites will be perceived as dyspnea. So that's kind of like in a nutshell pathophysiology. So any imbalance between the chemoreceptors and the carotid bodies and the mechanoreceptors causes the sensation of dyspnea. Right. So um, generally, it results from the ventilatory demand, demand being greater than capacity, right? So you can't supply <laughs> what you need. So that's when you get dyspnea. And there are some proposed mechanisms, of course, of dyspnea. That is increased work of breathing. It's typically from increased lung resistance or decreased lung compliance. That's your asthma COPD condition. Then increased respiratory drive. It's from hypoxemia, acidosis, or some centrally acting stimuli, the toxins and CNS events. Um, yeah, that's about it. It's not that hard, actually. Okay. So, so let's talk about dyspnea uh, and the differential diagnosis in terms of uh, severity, uh, talking about critical versus emergent versus non-emergent, as well as by organ systems. Yeah, that's incredibly important. So for each organ system, it is very important to realize, as you said, what are the critical, what are the emergent, and what are the non-emergent causes. And it's extremely important to keep that in mind when evaluating a patient presenting with dyspnea. So let's start with pulmonary stuff, most obvious, right? Absolutely. So the critical causes are airway obstruction, also pulmonary embolism, non-cardiogenic edema, anaphylaxis, and ventilatory failure. Pretty so, obvious. Yeah, those are pretty critical. Uh, but there are also emergent causes. Yep. Emergent causes would be spontaneous pneumothorax, bad, but you have some time to attend to, corpomonale, aspiration, severe pneumonia. So emergent, but not necessarily critically uh, um, going to affect someone like instantaneously. Exactly. Like, you can walk to the room as opposed to rush. <laughs> and non-emergent causes, of course, you know, your pleural effusions, your neoplasms, COPD. Mild you know, COPD. Mild COPD. Um, and, um, you know, not severe pneumonia. So that's your pulmonary stuff. So moving on, cardiac stuff obviously can cause dyspnea. So in critical um, bag of cardiac causes, would be, again, your pulmonary embolism, of course, MI, you know, can cause dyspnea, absolutely, and cardiac tamponade, that's what you need to think about. Emergent, I would say pericarditis. You know, you have some time, but, you know, need to treat. And in non-emergent, you would be congenital heart disease, valvular heart, heart disease, cardiomyopathy. So we have non-emergent causes from the heart that can cause dyspnea, uh, but then there are certainly, again, the critical uh, emergencies where you might have a, a life-saving uh, intervention that can be done. Exactly. So you thought that would be it, right? But no, abdominal stuff can cause dyspnea as well. So um, fortunately, there is really nothing critical that comes from the abdomen in terms of dyspnea. But let's talk about emergent causes, mechanical interference. Usually, if your belly is full of fluid or air, you know, you get mechanical interference and you feel short of breath. Hypotension, 
that's another cause. Sepsis from ruptured viscous bowel obstruction, inflammatory or infectious processes, that will give you the emergent causes of dyspnea. In terms of non-emergent, pregnancy, they're really non-emergent, right? Ascitis, obesity. Moving on, psychogenic causes. Don't you love yeah. the mic? That can be really challenging to figure out whether <laughs> it's a true emergency or whether it's psychogenic. Right. Again, critical, there is none. Hooray. Emergent, there is none, too. Well, that's why they're psychogenic, right? So, but you really have to think of hyperventilation syndrome, somatization disorders, and the panic attacks. And they're pretty common. I, it's common, but I think it can be tough to make that diagnosis. Of course, you, again, you still have to consider the emergent causes, whether you do need to have a life-threatening uh, intervention to, to do, or whether you, know, you just need to help the patient calm down. Exactly, exactly. So there are a number of other organ systems that give you dyspnea. So metabolic or endocrine causes, amongst the critical ones, you have to always consider toxic ingestions and DKA. These are your big ones. Emergent ones, it's renal failure, electrolyte abnormalities, metabolic acidosis. And the non-emergent causes would be your fever, thyroid disease. Again, you know, you have time. Then um, infectious causes are very important. And scary. And scary. Critical ones, epiglottitis. Fortunately, we're seeing less and less of that in pediatrics, but unfortunately, we're seeing a little bit more of that in adults right. lately. Um, emergent causes would be severe pneumonia, and non-emergent would be non-severe pneumonia. Let's not forget about trauma. With critical causes, of course, tension pneumothorax is a big one, cardiac tamponade, flail chest, that's another one. An emergent one, it would be simple pneumothorax, hemothorax, diaphragmatic rupture, and non-emergent rib fractures, well, when it's not too many at a time. All right, and then we have not that much left amongst hematologic causes. Uh, the critical ones, you should remember CO poisoning, carbon monoxide, and then acute chest syndrome, of course. Emergent one would be really severe anemia, and non-emergent really none. And neuromuscular um, critical ones would be your um, strokes, intracranial insults, and organophosphate poisoning. And amongst emergent causes would be um, tick paralysis, Guillain-Barre, and uh, myest- um, multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis. Um, excuse me. And then non-emergent ALS, polymyositis, porphyria. So that's a lot of different systems that we talked about. We talked about pulmonary, cardiac, abdominal metabolic and endocrine, infectious, traumatic, hematologic, neuromuscular, and of course, psychogenic. Yeah. It's a lot of different systems. But the point of this all is when you think of dyspnea, just keep in mind that it doesn't have to be long or hard to cause that. So there's a heck of a lot of other things that can cause that. Right. And so sometimes the easiest way to uh, attempt to figure this out is to get a good history. Absolutely. <laughs> So there are some questions that you absolutely want to ask your patients. Yep. Um, starting with the duration of the dyspnea. Exactly. And that's pretty obvious if you think about it. So the shorter the amount of duration that you have, the more acute it is, the more worrisome it is. And obviously, if you have a chronic or progressive dyspnea, um, you know, it's a little bit like you have more time to think about it. 
And usually you sort of think about it as when it's chronic or progressive, it's probably more cardiac and pulmonary. While acute one, it would be something like asthma exacerbation, infections, PE, um, intermittent cardiac dysfunction, psychogenic causes, inhalation of irritants, um, foreign bodies. So again, um, figuring out what was the duration, um, that, that's really important. The other thing that is important is the onset of dyspnea. Again, um, I sort of mentioned that the sudden onset would be um, should make you think of PE and spontaneous pneumothorax. And when it's gradual um, onset, it could be, you know, your COPD flare, asthma flare, pneumonia, um, CHF, malignancy, et cetera, et cetera. Also, when you ask um, a patient, the positional changes will clue you in, in um, many instances. Orthopnea, um, you should think of left-sided uh, heart failure. COPD, neuromuscular disorders. Um, paroxysmal no nocturnal dyspnea is more common in heart failure and COPD. Also, exertion, exertional dyspnea is common in COPD, but also when you have a poor cardiac reserve and abdominal loading, like pregnancy, ascites, obesity. And um, of course, you, you should ask the patient whether they had any trauma. You know, that's in the low Well, sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes no questions obvious. necessary. Exactly. Um, you know, obviously you think of fractured rib, flail chest, pneumothorax, hematorax, and all that good stuff. Right. So, again, to review, when you're obtaining a, a good history, we want to know the duration of the dyspnea, and then uh, exactly when did it start, what were you doing when it started, whether there are, um, what makes it better, what makes it worse, any changes with position, um, and then certainly uh, if there's any trauma involved. Exactly. So we talked about some definitions and we talked about a differential based on organ system and, and history, but um, how do the symptoms uh, help figure out what, what the cause is? Well, symptoms, the, um, the description of symptoms, of course, vary from patient to patient, from patient to patient, patient to patient, and usually very poorly correlates with the severity, right? So You've it poorly co correlates with severity. Absolutely. Makes sense. Yeah. Usually the panic attack is the most dramatically presented, you know, dyspnea, um, and we've all seen that. So it's important to remember that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, if, you, if the patient has fever, obviously you should think of infectious causes. If um, they look very anxious and fearful um, or give you a history of having panic attacks or anxiety, you know, then um, that more points to psychogenic cause. And then, um, of course, you should never um, just take that. You know, you should um, think of organic causes first, um, but it can um, point you out to the right direction. Um, when you have just isolated dyspnea um, with or without chest pain, you know, you may think of pulmonary embolism or MI. And, of course, dyspnea with inspiration but not with movement also should clue you into, like, pleurisy or PE or pneumothorax. Yeah, so the symptoms absolutely can help uh, really figure out whether um, where the source of the symptoms are coming from. So... We can consider that it's not just cardiac or pulmonary. Um, 
And we, of course, have to think of the critical and the emergent causes based on history and symptoms. Exactly, exam. each category. Yeah. And so this will conclude the part one. And part two, we'll talk about the exam, and then we'll put it all together on how to really formulate a, a good differential and, and what interventions might be done. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. So that was a great podcast by Karima and Mike. And if you're the med students tuning into this, I think the lesson you learned from this is that the differential of dyspnea is rather long. So go to the show notes and we will include uh, Karima's outline of uh, cardinal presentation so that you're ready for uh, to offer more than two or three things when a patient's chief complaint is shortness of breath. Okay, see you next time.